This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm Carl Jorn, field agronomist for Northwest Indiana, recording today with uh, my co-hosts and colleagues, Brian Trader and Ben Jacob. How are you, fellas? Very good, Carl. Good to be here. Good, Carl. Thanks for asking. Awesome. We have a very special guest this afternoon as we're visiting with uh, Mike Koenigs. Mike is a market development specialist uh, just on the wrong side of the state line over in Illinois, but we are uh, pleased to be graced with his presence. Uh, Mike, as you um, join us on the podcast today, would you mind giving uh, all the folks in the audience a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what it is you do? You bet. Thank you. So I work with Corteva on the crop protection side of the business. And I hate to admit, I've been with the company for over two decades. So I generally know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and what I do is I work across the Illinois crop protection team. And I have a fun job where I get to do sales, uh, marketing, get into the technical space. And then I'm uh, on the front end, a lot of our new products and new pilot initiatives. So it's a, it's a really fun space to be in right now. Absolutely. Well, we uh, we're used to visiting with Nate Wiss. And so Nate is uh, your counterpart um, just, you know, over on the Indiana side of the line for folks that remember us visiting with Nate in the past. So we're, we're pleased to have Mike to join us today because we have a particularly uh, pressing issue or opportunity to discuss today where um, just here in the last week or two, uh, Enlist was re-registered with the um, with the EPA here and received a seven-year registration, which is great news. Um, I was ignorant to the fact that the Enlist registration was expiring here in January, and so when I learned that we received uh, approval for a new registration, uh, I was surprised. But that goes to show you how much uh, a Pioneer Field Agronomist pays attention to the federal regulatory bodies that help, um, you know, enable the sale and use of crop protection material. So that aside, uh, Mike, could you characterize kind of what took place with the registration and uh, what folks in Indiana and Illinois should care about or, you know, if they had missed the news here over the last couple of weeks? So, guys, it's good news. Now, there are a few small changes but it is very good news and we got it. We have to stay focused on that. Um, so last week uh, we got a new seven year label. That is excellent guys. Um, the last label that we had on Enlist One and Enlist Duo was for five years. So that means the EPA is so confident in the technology, in the track record of this technology that they gave us a seven year label. So first of all, that's, that's a huge takeaway. Now people always want to know, okay, Mike, what's different, right? What's different in the new labels? So there, there are a few key things that are different. One of the things that's different is there's a little bit smaller application window for Enlist One and Enlist Duo. So on the old label, we could make post applications on E3 soybeans through R2 with the new label that will be through R1. So a little bit smaller on the post application window. There also is 
um, some what they call um, environmental or there's some endangered species counties that there's um, we are limited on making applications of Enlist One or Enlist Duo. The good news for your audience is that in states like Indiana and Illinois, there are none of those counties. So there are no endangered species counties for enlist herbicides in Indiana and Illinois. That is excellent news. Now there's some other states that have some of these counties. In the big picture though, it represents a very small percentage of the soybean producing region in the country, okay? So, so there's a change there. Um, there's also gonna be some language on these new labels about runoff mitigation. And guys, it's kind of complex. I'm not gonna try to explain it all in, uh, in, a, in a podcast here, but, but my advice would be is it's something to pay attention to, look for it, and it's kind of a new trend. So, so the EPA, as they now grant new uh, pesticide labels, there's certain things around runoff, there's certain things around pollinators and bees that are gonna be included in all sorts of labels. So, so we're still kind of getting our arms around that. We also tightened up a few things on the new label. For instance, the, the um, rate range got kind of tightened up. So, so now for Enlist One, two pints per acre would be the recommended use rate. And for Enlist Duo, that is 4.75 pints per acre. Uh, we also tightened up the rain fast time. There was some inconsistency between duo and one. So now on the labels, uh, we ask for a four hour rain fast, meaning we want the herbicide applied, you know, four hours before you get a significant rainfall event that could wash the herbicide um, off of the leaves. So again, a few changes, but, but really I think it's, it, this is very positive getting a seven-year label. Mike, I just want to clarify for our listeners, you had talked about the change with uh, the timing on the soybeans, R2 versus the new label at R1. Just as a mm -hmm. point of clarification, weed size has not changed on the label, simply the timing for the soybean. That is that correct? Correct, correct. Um, the, rec the labels have, have said before, they say now, you know, we recommend spraying weeds six inches or less, right? So, so again, that has not changed. If people are going out and spraying what I call trophy-sized weeds, weeds that come up <laughs> to my knee, that's off-label. Uh, don't expect good control on those trophy weeds. Oh, fair, fair call out. So, Mike, we kind of talked about what took place and for, you know, a lot of the folks listening to this for the first time, they're probably wondering how or why did some of these um, label changes come about? And you, you correct me if I've got this wrong, but how I understand things is that, um, you know, over the last several years, we've seen more and more litigation coming to the EPA over their, you know, herbicide labels, you know, think about the, the, you know, Ninth Circuit Court and everything that took place two years ago with the dicamba label and how there was the lawsuit and the registration was lost. So from how I understand things, the, the EPA is trying to make sure that any label that they grant access or, you know, approve is going to be 
watertight so that um, it's very easy to be defended um, while also giving the liberty and freedom to growers to use, um, you know, the tools they need to control the pests, you know, in their fields. So, um, you know, like you said, we tightened up the, uh, the application timing. So we're now, as opposed to being through our two, we're now through our one, just like Liberty is, just like Dicamba is. Um, you know, we don't have uh, downwind buffers and things of that nature. Like they made those big adjustments with the last Dicamba registration because that off-target movement was such a concern there. We do have those runoff mitigation tactics uh, that one should be using within list. And this is all kind of in, in, in the perspective of being able to defend this, this label if there were, you know, legal action taken towards it. And the legal action that has been taken on some of these labels has been specifically the defense of endangered species. And so that's kind of where all this is, is stemming from and why we're making sure that uh, at Corteva, we're doing everything we can to provide tools to help farmers, but also, you know, we take sustainability and protecting the environment very seriously. So would you say that, um, that, you know, long ramble, is that representative of what's kind of gone on and why the changes took place outside of what the changes were? Yeah, I fully agree. And, and the word defendable, right? Having a defendable label in the event that there would be some litigation or some group that's opposed to uh, pesticides would get in the middle of things that this can be defended by the EPA. So yeah, I, I agree with all that. And then realize that all pesticide labels are on some sort of a schedule of re-registration every so many years, right? So it, it varies. You know, we talked about how uh, the original labels had a five-year time period. This label has a seven-year period. And so, so it's normal to go through re-registration. And then oftentimes there's new criteria that the EPA will have. Like we mentioned, you know, pollinators are, are very much a, a concern and something they look at. Um, endangered species, concerns of runoff, you know, those are things that are now very active verbiage within labels that you probably didn't see much about 10 or 15 years ago. And, and I assume we'll continue to see evolution on what's included in a pesticide label. So, you know, as folks are digesting some of this information, we did not move the, the label through R2 and backed it up to through R1 because of, um, you know, concerns about our, our herbicide volatilizing or not staying on target. It was due to, you know, ensuring habitat for pollinators. And like you said, coming back to that defensible um, label that the EPA and us as registrants um, also have a vested interest in. So the efficacy and the products have not changed, just the um, environment that we're all operating in uh, continues to evolve. And so we're all, uh, all of us are partnered together here to make sure we, we have the freedom to operate and do what, do what's best for our own acres. And, and um, you know, that's, that's kind of where we find ourselves today. So that aside, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Mike. I, I was going to say, too, that a point I wanted to point out that I, I think your audience would be interested in is I was talking to a customer the other day, and they had heard the news on Enlist, but just kind of quickly read the news, right? And their statement to me was, well, Mike, um, 
if we can now spray through R1 and dicamba goes through R1, then it's all the same. There's no difference. And I kind of said, whoa, time out, time out. There are still huge differences between the application rules of Enlist herbicides and, and dicamba products like Extendamax and Ingenia. And, and to maybe point that out to your audiences that in states like Illinois, and I'm pretty sure Indiana has this as well, there's a June 20th cutoff date. You bet. So past June 20th, you cannot make applications on those dicamba products. Um, that really limits uh, folks in the southern part of those states that will sometimes double crop soybeans. So keep that in mind. And then in Illinois, we also have an 85 degree temperature cutoff. So if temperatures exceed 85 degrees, we cannot spray those, those dicamba products, or if the forecasted temperature is going to exceed it that entire day, that entire day is a do not spray because we know that those high temperatures increase the likelihood of volatility and off target movement. So, you know, those are just a couple of the differences guys, um, where there's, where there is buffers needed, uh, the buffers within list are 30 feet. The, the buffers with dicamba are 240, which is an 8x increase. Um, and guys, I could probably go on six or seven other points where there's differences in the application rules. Certainly. So if someone, just, if someone just says, oh man, everything's a wash, everything's equal. No, it's not. There are still huge, huge advantages uh, to the, the E3 system and the ease, the ease of, of, of applications. No, I appreciate you calling those out. So Mike, one thing that we've been getting a number of questions on over the last uh, couple of months here is, you know, what is the status of enlist supply? You know, there's a lot of noise in the countryside about uh, uncertainty of, you know, how much glyphosate someone can get their hands on, you know, Liberty being 75 bucks a gallon, you know, can, can I get my hands on enough? Um, can you give us kind of a, a clearer picture of where things stand with respect to enlist supply and our expectations for this growing season? Yeah, supply is a great question on all, all inputs right now. Um, so as of today, and granted supply, I, a week from now, I may, I may have a different answer for you, but Corteva has high confidence in our enlist one supply for this upcoming season. Now, we still encourage people be proactive. If you know you're going to need product, get it ordered, uh, talk to who you're purchasing your crop protection products from, make sure that they know what you're going to need, get, get on the list, right? Um, as for Enlist Duo, which is our premix product, it's got Enlist One in it, it's got glyphosate in it. I'm sure your audience knows glyphosate supplies are very tight right now and will continue to be for a period of time. So because of the tight supplies on glyphosate, we are restricted on the amount of Enlist Duo we have. So we can't, uh, we can't fulfill all of uh, all the orders on Duo, but on List 1, we, we are in good shape, but please be proactive. And, and my advice to just crop protection in general, there's several key products that have supply restrictions this year. Make a plan, get, get things ordered sooner than later. And, and the other piece of advice I'd give to, to growers is, you know, 
work on a plan B in the event that you don't get what you want. And, and maybe even think about a plan C because there will be certain products that we won't be able to get all of what we want. And so having that plan B and C will be important. Mike, I just interject one thing that, I mean, it's a great explanation and, and I've heard, I've heard the same, the same thing, but you know, I, I can't, I can't have a conversation about enlist supply without bringing up that in my mind, one of the main drivers as to why enlist supply is, is good this year or, or better than most things is that it's, it's made right here in America. And it doesn't have to come, doesn't have to come across the Pacific Ocean, it doesn't get rationed to us, it doesn't get held up in the port of Los Angeles and, you know, have to go through the shipping struggles that some other products might. And, you know, as, as a rather red-blooded American, that's, that's something I'm awfully proud of, working for an American company with an American product that, um, you know, we can ensure a, a stable supply of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm proud of that, too. Um, the, the production is, is contained within the U.S. and most of, most of the, the production and formulating is even, is even in the Midwest. And, and that's why we have much better control over supply of those products where when, when supply chains start to stretch into other areas or if supply chains would jump our continent to maybe say Asia or a continent like that, uh, then, then there tends to be a lot more stress on that supply chain right now because of all the reasons you just mentioned. Yes. So yes. another, another thing is when people talk about supply, some of the, some of the biggest products that are probably going to be, uh, have the most challenge challenges with supply will be your, your glyphosate or your Roundup brands, your glufosinate, your Liberty brands, right? And those, those products are oftentimes your, your post mixes. And so what I always recommend to growers is we know glyphosate and Liberty supplies are going to be tight. We know prices on those things have gone up to sometimes three X where they were just 12 months ago. Um, please, please be using pre-emerge herbicides, right? Pre-emerge herbicides have go up, have gone up in cost, but nothing like what glyphosate and glufosinate have. So when you look at the value of what those pre-emerge products bring, it's enormous. And then when you just look at managing resistant weeds, when you look at putting multiple modes of action, it is important that we use, we use those pre-emerges. So I, I know we always stress that, but I stress it even more so this year, knowing that we're going to be supply limited on some of the post products and knowing the economics of these products. It's, it's, it's kind of a no brainer in, in my book. So Mike, for folks that are going to heed that good advice of, you know, taking what you can, getting it in the barn and then making that plan B and C and then not leaning so heavily on your post passes to do the good work of, of uh, you know, your weed management program, leaning on a pre-emergent herbicide with residual. For those folks that are looking for some specifics, any products that you, you feel are going to do a good job in that scenario for pre-emergent with residual? Um, I know I'm in an area that's got hellacious water hemp issues as of the last two production seasons. Can you, uh, you know, maybe help give some folks a solution there? Any ideas? Yeah, we've got, we've got a, a handful, probably more than a handful of, of, of great products 
Um, the products that are most popular in, in my market would be uh, a product called Kyber. Uh, last year in 21 was our launch year for Kyber. Just a fantastic product. Uh, three ingredients containing three modes of action, very broad spectrum residual weed control. Um, so that would be our premium brand, just, just hands down a great brand. Uh, some other brands that have been on the market for a few years, but still do a great job would be Trivents. Uh, Trivents also has three ingredients, three different modes of action, uh, not quite as broad spectrum of weed control as Kyber, but still very solid. Uh, Sonic is another brand that has two ingredients for two modes of action. It has very high crop safety. Um, and if you get on some weird soils, maybe some soils that have some higher pHs or maybe some lower organic matters, um, uh, Sonic would be very safe on some of those we'll call more unusual soil types. But yeah, those those would be three. And we've got more guys. I could I could go on, <laughs> but um, I, I'll leave I'll I'll leave it at three. And then say too in the post apps, don't forget that there's also some products, uh, some herbicides that we can add in those post applications to give us more layered residual. And and what we've seen is where guys have 30 inch rows and we. It takes longer to get the canopy. Absolutely, we have to have those layered residuals. And then where guys have the, the heavier water hemp pressure, we've got to have those layered residuals so that we can hold the water hemp back until the beans have a good canopy established. Well, uh, Mike, my experience has been, you know, that in-season residual, like a metolachlor containing product. Um, I know we've had a few trials locally using uh, our Ever Pre-X that's done a really nice job of extending that that um, time frame where we don't have weeds emerging. That I, I would hate to go without plugging that as an opportunity that's had good success, uh, at least in Northwest Indiana. I'm sure Brian and Ben probably have plenty of experience using Metolacor products to help us out. Um, anything I'm missing there is that the novice crop protection individual here. You bet. You're, yep. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Ever Pre-X would be our brand that, that fits into that space. And, and I always say Ever Pre-X will fit on every type of soybean, whether it's an Enlist, a Liberty, uh, a Plenish, you, you name it, heck, a, a non-GMO or what we used to call conventional beans, uh, that, that product will fit on all acres and bring value. Carl, I'll uh, give a uh, nod to the Kyber for the eastern part of the state of Indiana. Uh, we had a number of customers and uh, pioneer sales reps that used that product in my geography last year, had excellent performance with it. Um, and so just a little bit of Indiana flavor there to endorse uh, Mike's comment about the Kyber, and especially for guys that have water hemp and mare's tail, just a really nice product that set folks up a year ago for a lot of success. Uh, regardless, honestly, of what technology they had, uh, Plenish for us was a big player and we used it there. And so just a, a really nice way of setting up uh, your post-emerge applications. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, Ben, Brian, Mike, anything else for the, the good of the cause? I know January is the month where a lot of crop protection decisions get made. So I'd, 
I'd hate to leave anything on the table here, but I think we've had a good conversation about what took place with the enlist registration. Uh, like Mike said, got seven years on that, which speaks to the confidence that the, the regulators have and um, what we're doing at Corteva and the products we're bringing forth. And so I'm just thankful that we've got um, a good, good solution for that post-emergence side of the equation. And we just gave voice to the pre-emergent side of the equation. So what, what have we left unsaid here? Well, from, from my standpoint, uh, the, the last thing I'd probably leave the group with is, you know, think about we also have some, some grower programs, right? So we've got the, the True Choice offer. And now through February 25th, growers can still take advantage of the savings opportunity through True Choice. And how that offer looks is for individuals that will fund their True Choice account with cash, they can then get 10% savings on their Corteva crop protection products. And that is an impressive amount. And then if you are a qualifying Pioneer customer, that savings goes up from 10% up to 15. So again, for people that we still have time to be able to save 15%, that's, that's nice. And that will help offset some of the price increases that the crop protection business has seen in the past year. So, so absolutely, I want to put a reminder in for that. There's still time, but we need to, we need to get moving if we're going to take advantage of that offer. That's a good call out, Mike. At least for my household, I, I prefer a program of that nature with the upfront savings because whenever I go to Menards for my 11% rebate, somehow I always lose my uh, my cash rebate um, to the junk drawer. So it's good to have that upfront savings as opposed to waiting um, several several uh, iterations of when you actually would have wanted that money back in hand. So I uh, appreciate you giving voice to that. Ben, Brian, agree. agree. <laughs> and, 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 and for your customers, if they've got questions, you know, please, please reach out to, um, you know, reach out to your Pioneer rep, reach out to who you buy your crop protection products from. And they can probably steer you and answer any questions you have on that, that nice grower offer. Now, Carl, I'd just, I'd circle back to the beginning, the way Mike started, that, that this really is good news to have a seven-year registration. And although for us, you know, the label does get a bit more restrictive. We think about the tank mix partners, um, you know, Enlist is rarely going out alone in season. Um, so if you look at the tank mix partners, it was likely you already had that same cutoff sure. to deal with anyway. So, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't impact us as much as it may seem on the surface. And so it's a really good thing to have, have some stability with it and know that that registration is good for at least the next seven years. Um, and you know, that we can go, we can go forward with the system we know works. Well, that, and, you know, we touched briefly on the, um, runoff mitigation measures. Uh, I know we didn't get into it and I won't now, but that, that also isn't anything new, you know, something we deal with, um, when it comes to atrazine containing products and sulfentrazone. So that's also, um, part and parcel to, to the regulatory space. So that's um, something that we'll, we'll get a little bit more studied up on here to make sure we're, uh, you know, using our products and also being good stewards of the land. And um, I think that that'll put us in a great place moving forward. Um, yeah, and I think, and I think, 
Go ahead, Mike. I'll throw this in too, guys. Um, another another point that I probably should have mentioned before too was nozzles, right? Yes, so with, I was about the to say the system, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Um, with uh, with enlist and and with extend, there are specific nozzles that have to be utilized. And another component of the label update last week was that there is over a hundred new nozzles for enlist herbicides. And I don't have those exact numbers, but there's roughly a hundred, I think there's roughly 150 nozzles now approved for enlist one um, and a nice chunk of nozzles approved for enlist duo. So it gives us more flexibility. And, and the thing that's really nice is these nozzle options, not only do they give us drift control, which is important, but they also give us good coverage. And that's where some other systems you know, the nozzles that they have to use, yes, there's drift control, but oftentimes they sacrifice coverage. And we know we have to have good coverage of these herbicides if we want to control these tough weeds like water hemp and mare's tail. Well, for those of you that are um, looking for a, uh, a sleep aid, we're going to have Mike on for a special edition of the podcast where he reads through all the T-Jet nozzles, <laughs> AI110-02 to help you relax and, uh, you know, find yourself in a peaceful place before uh, going off to bed. But sincerely, Mike, thank you for uh, taking the time today to visit with us on this, uh, the news of the adjustment to the label. And um, I think we're we're all on the same page here. Glad to be where we are uh, representing the products that we do. Looking forward to having a, uh, a safe and productive season as we're booking those chemical supplies and hopefully getting them in the shed here before too long. And um, until next time, uh, thank you all in the audience for giving us a listen. Uh, ben, if something struck a chord with a listener and they want to get a hold of you, where might they go about doing so? Yeah, you can follow along with what's happening in Southern Indiana on Twitter at the Ben Jacob or on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. But you, Mr. Schrader, uh, you can get a hold of me on uh, Twitter at BK Schrader and on Instagram at B underscore K underscore Schrader. Awesome. And if you want to know what's going on in Northwest Indiana, you can follow me on Twitter at C Jorn. And uh, Mike, once again, thank you for the time. We made sure not to discuss the uh, Illinois-Purdue basketball result here on today's recording. So um, now that we got that safely out of the way, we'll uh, look forward to visiting with you again in the future. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you, folks, for listening. We'll see you around. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.